Bibles and return to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to be reading this morning, again, verses 15 through the end of the chapter. And we want to speak this morning on this theme, God the Father's power in Christ. God the Father's power in Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you in your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you, while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you will know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, And what is the surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of His might, which He brought about in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority, and power, and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And He put all things in subjection under His feet, and gave Him as head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. I want to remind us that if anyone would ever ask you, what is God's will? Or if they would say, what is God's will for my life? Or maybe you might ask yourself, what is God's will for my life? This book answers that question. This is the one thing that we are to be aiming for. There are other things under the one thing, but this one thing I do. Forgetting those things that lie behind, I press on to the upward prize of His calling in Christ Jesus. It is that calling which is our hope, And it is that calling that is the mystery of His will, as He says in Ephesians 1, verse 9. All if the church of God would recover this, it would change the church in America. And it would change our lives as individual believers. This mystery of His will that He has made known What is that mystery? Well, it is the summing up of all things in Christ. And it is that mystery 
the summing up of all things in Christ that Paul specifically, or we could say, Christ as the head of the church explicitly desires for us to know, verse 17. He wants us to possess the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. That we would know that wisdom. That we would be growing in that wisdom. That we would be growing in our understanding of that knowledge of this mystery in our lives that it would control every underpinning of everything we do under this sun. For it is our hope, and Paul desires for us, verse 18, to know what is the hope of God the Father's calling. It's not merely that, okay, we know the fact of that hope. The Ephesians knew what the fact of that hope was, but Paul desired for them to grow in that knowledge so that it controls them. A mature believer has that knowledge controlling their life. God the Father is calling us to Himself in Christ Jesus so that we might gain His glory, the glory of the risen Son of God, the hope of that resurrection. He also wants us to know, verse 18, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. That is, Christ in us, the hope of glory, this unsearchable wealth of His grace and His kindness, which He lavished on us through His Son that is in us. We want and desire to know that wealth. And when we value that wealth appropriately, it governs the walk of our feet and the speech of our mouth. We are a people called called by His name, gathered into local New Testament assemblies. This is life-changing. But not only that, Paul desires for us, verse 19, to know what is the surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe. He's not praying that we would gain the power of God. We have the power of God. He's not praying that we are to access the power of God as is commonly preached today. We not only have it, we possess it. The power of God is to be worked out in our heart and in our life. Paul wrote to the Philippian church, it is God who is both working in us the to-be-willing. He's working in us the power of His might. He's working in us the to-be-willing and the to-be-what? Doing all for the glory of His grace. So we should be standing in fear and trembling because the Creator of the universe is doing this in us. 
We're to know the intensity of this power, verse 19. The surpassing power of God the Father. And we're to know what is that surpassing greatness of that power toward us. This is God working in us to bring us to Christ. This is His power working in us to present me holy and blameless before Him in love. This is absolutely, I'm going to use a colloquial, you ready? Awesome! That God is doing this in vessels of human clay. Amazing that he would be doing this. Now folks, that mystery of his will is being accomplished in our lives. Look at verse 19. These, or that is the hope of his calling the riches of the glory of His inheritance, the surpassing greatness of His power, all of this, verse 19, is in accordance with the working, the energizing of the strength of His might. And folks, when we're talking about God's power, when we're talking about the strength, now think about the word, the strength of His might. How strong is He? You can't define it. How do you define and quantify infinite power? The greatness of His power, we're talking about God the Father using His power to accomplish His aims and purposes that He decided before the foundation of the world. We're talking about the strength of His might as God acts in His Son towards believers. We're talking about the riches of His glory in earthen vessels. We're talking about the strength of His might providing us the hope of His calling. We're talking about that might choosing, predestinating, adopting, redeeming, forgiving our trespasses, teaching us, gifting us our inheritance, being sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise, and that strength of His might taking us all the way to the end of being before Him in holiness and in love and in blamelessness and in grace not having any spot or wrinkle, but before Him in the glory of His dear Son. This is power, is it not? For Him to do these things in our lives. And folks, Paul talks about this strength of His might, the working of the strength of His might, in other places in this epistle that are very instructive for us. Go over to chapter 3 and look down at verse 7 when Paul talks about himself. He says, Of which, that is the gospel, of which I was made a minister 
according to the gift of God's grace, now note this, which was given to me according to the working of His what? Power. Everybody see that? God's power gifted this calling to be an apostle in the apostle's life. And of course, I think all of us would agree. Here's a man, rebellion against God, persecuting the church of God, thinking that he's pleasing God, and the power of God arrests him on the road to Damascus. And that with one word, who are you, Lord? Here's the word, I am Jesus, destroyed all of his self-righteousness and granted him regeneration and called him to this vocation to be an apostle to the Gentiles all at the same time. Amazing. That same power toward us. Paul was made a minister by that power. Look in Ephesians 4. And you'll recall, verse 11, that he gifts, Christ himself gifts to the church, apostles, they are no longer in existence today, and some as prophets, they're no longer in existence today, some as evangelists, probably missionaries we would call them today, and some as pastors, teachers. And they are given to local New Testament assemblies to equip the saints for the work of the service to the building up of the body of Christ. Now note verse 16. From whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, now watch this, according to the proper working or the strength of his might in each individual part causing the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Everybody see that? Paul's called into the ministry by the working of his power. Local New Testament assemblies are being held together, growing up in him by the working of his power And then thirdly, this is instructive, Ephesians chapter 10. Ephesians chapter 6. If you look down in verse 19, you'll notice that Paul bookends this epistle talking about the mystery. He says, and pray for my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening up of my mouth to make known with boldness the what? The mystery of the gospel. That is the mystery of His will. But folks, that working of His strength, that working of His power is mentioned in verse 10 of Ephesians 6. It says, finally... Be strong in the Lord, now note this, and in the what? Strength of His might. Does everybody see that? You've got the strength of His might in Ephesians 6 verse 10. You've got Paul writing 
that all of what this mystery of his will, it's all in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. So therefore, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. What in the world is he talking about there? Well, if you've been like me, I've always understood all the preaching on the armor of God, but it really wasn't until tying verse 10 back to Ephesians 1 that I understood really what this armor is. The armor is the growing wisdom and understanding of the mystery of His will being worked out in our life of which the pieces of the armor all correspond to. So be strong in the Lord. Well, how do I do that? In in the strength of his might. What is his might doing? It is working in us the to-be-willing and the to-be-doing of the fulfillment of the aims and purposes of God which he determined before the foundation of the world. And folks, as we do that, we are built up Ephesians 4, right? As we do that, we are stabilized so that no matter what evil comes against us, and is there evil trying to undermine God's purposes? Yes. Having done all, we what? We stand. Because we are firm in the understanding of of the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him. Folks, this is what brings stability in our life. This is what brings strength in our life. This is what brings us all of this in the church, in each individual member of His body, standing because of what God is doing in the life of a church. That is amazing. And folks, I have found in my own heart going through this epistle probably for the fourth time, but way with way more previous treasury of my heart, but building on that treasury, this has given me such strength and stability in my heart, in my inner man, of which Paul's going to pray for, isn't he? He says in Ephesians 3 that he's going to pray, verse 16, that God would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with what? Power through His Spirit in the inner man. You see how all this ties together. Folks, we can't really walk in the things that Paul wants us to walk in in Ephesians 4 through 6, without understanding what God's doing in the doctrinal section of this epistle. And folks, in other words, every operation of God the Father, every operation, all in His powerful might, are all centered in this mystery of His will, the summing up of everything in Christ, working out, toward us as believing people under the sun. Amazing. And folks, it's that same power that's going to resurrect our bodies from the dead. This is the power. And folks, I am so thankful 
that God the Creator, now think about this, all infinite power works in us ever so gently to accomplish His purposes. Now at times in us, it may feel like that God is working violently, but I assure you, it is just a small measure (laughs) of the working of His grace that is there. So we understand this mystery. Do we understand the power of God? Is it working in our lives? Amen. Is it continually working in our lives? Amen. Are we to walk therein? Can we grow and be strengthened in that power? Amen. If we understand that that power is working in us through the revelation of the knowledge of Him. That's how this works in us. As you focus on Him through the Scripture, an image of Him becomes clearer and clearer in your heart and in your mind, though you've never seen Him and you will never see a face when that image is being formed. But we are being transformed from glory to glory even as by the Spirit of God. Now folks, that mystery of His will had to be acted out in human history. Right? We're talking about, so far, we're talking about that which was done before the foundation of the world. We're talking about them, all of it in the gospel of His dear Son that is the summing up of all things in Him. We're talking about our really coming to a fuller and enlarged understanding of the knowledge of God the Father. But that surpassing greatness of His power acted at a certain historical time in a certain historical person. Look at what it says in verse 20. The working of the strength of His might, Ephesians 1 verse 20, which He, God the Father, brought about in who? In Christ when He raised Him from the dead. Everybody see that? Now folks, you and I would have been thinking that as He was coming down through here that we would know the hope of His calling, that we would know what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance, that we would know what is the surpassing greatness of His power and all of this strength of His might, We thought, what might have thought verse 20 would say, which He brought about in us. But He doesn't say that, does He? Folks, everything... Please get this. Everything that we have talked about, the calling, the choosing, the unsearchable riches, God's actions, He's predestinating, adoption, redemption, forgiveness, teaching, gifting, all of that power that brought about all that was brought about in Christ. That historical person, 
when when he raised him from the dead. Everybody see that? When did that happen? Yesterday? Fifty years ago? hundred years ago? Before you were born? <laughs> Folks, that happened almost 2,000 years ago. Let that sink in. Because as I said, you would have thought that the strength of His might, the surpassing greatness of His power, would have acted when I got saved. And in my case, on October 5th, 1980. But it happened in Christ at a historical time, His resurrection. That's when it acted. And folks, that is why we say that in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God the Father did not make our salvation possible. He accomplished our salvation in that death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Everybody see that? When did He act? Some 2,000 years ago, right? In whom did He act? Christ, His only begotten Son. And in that act of all of the mystery of His will, all of the power bringing all of this to pass, acted, was brought about in Christ when He raised Him from the dead. And folks, what I'm telling you right now is all in agreement with what he says in verse 10 of Ephesians 1. <clears throat> that all of this mystery of his will is the summing up of all things in who? In Christ. Everybody see that? And folks, when I make that statement, does it not open up your understanding on why Paul keeps talking about Every benefit coming to us, he will add this phrase, in Christ. Right? We're to walk worthy in Christ. It was his power toward us in Christ. He keeps using that statement of union with Christ to show that at that historical moment some 2,000 years ago, and in the person of His dear Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, God accomplished our salvation at that historical moment. Everything else is bringing all this to pass. And folks, that means this, <clears throat> as we look at Ephesians 1 verse 20. 
It means that all of God the Father's benefits and all of God the Father's actions and all of God the Father's power comes to us through a mediator. Everybody see that? Did you notice again in verse 19, the surpassing greatness of His power, notice He doesn't say in us, does He? Toward us. Who believe. How does it come toward us? Because that surpassing greatness of His strength, He brought about, verse 20, in who? In Christ. Folks, the church is not the power of God. That's what the Roman Catholic Church would have you believe. The earthly church is not the mediator. Christ is the mediator. One mediator between God and man, the man who? Christ Jesus. All of God's blessings in Christ flow to us through Christ. And folks, that is why Paul writes to the Corinthians, Christ, the wisdom of God. Do you see His wisdom in Christ now? Christ, the wisdom of God. Christ, the what of God? Power of God. And that's why when we behold the preaching of the cross, we see in that proclamation of the gospel not just a bloody man who suffered horrendously beyond perhaps other people. We see the power of God in that act. God was doing something in His Son. What was He doing? reconciling us to Himself. Everybody see that? All in Christ Jesus. He acted in Christ to accomplish the mystery of His will. So we look to Christ, the power and wisdom of God, to behold the mighty acts of God. Everybody with me? We just don't sit around and say, man, I wish I could see the mighty acts of God. The mighty acts of God were exhibited for us to see in Christ. When He was on that cross, when He died for our sins, when He was buried and He was raised from the dead, that's the mighty power of God. That's all the might of God you and I really need to know. Now folks, He did something at the resurrection of Christ in His Son. He did four things. Look at verse 20. He brought about in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and note the verbs, seated Him. Everybody see the word seated? He was raised, He was seated, look at verse 22, He put and gave. God the Father 
doing four things on behalf of His Son, where this power was there, that is toward us. See, here's the first. We've already talked about this. God's power raised Christ from the dead. Folks, if I was to ask you, what do you think the greatest power under the sun is? Would you say, ah, well, the greatest power under the sun is the bond between a mother looking at her infant child in her hands? I've heard the world say that. Would you say the greatest power under the sun is the United States of America? I've heard presidents, I've heard God's people say that. Have you? Mm -hmm. We're the greatest power ever existed. United States of America, would you say that? Would you say the atomic bomb? That's a power, right? I mean, dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki to end World War II. The devastation and description of what those bombs did are beyond human imagination. The world says that's a great power under the sun. We threaten each other. The president of Russia threatened the Western world. Did he not? What did he threaten with? With the bond between a mother and a child? No, what he considered the greatest power under the sun, nuclear weapons. What would you think is the greatest power under the sun? Folks, the greatest power, the strongest might under the sun is death. Think about it. Do you know of any medicine that can overcome that? Do you know of any human ingenuity that can overcome that? Do you know of an atomic bomb that could overcome that? The greatest thing that men and women fear under the sun is this great power called death. Hebrews says that in Hebrews chapter 2. Who through the fear of bondage, Satan kept under his bondage through fear of death. We fear death, don't we? You say, I don't fear death. Why do you go to the doctor? Why are you exercising to stay healthy? We do that because we don't want to what? Don't want to die. Death 
is the greatest power under the sun. But God, verse 20, raised him from the what? Do you see that? In other words, folks, what he wants us to understand is that when we're talking about the working of the strength of his might, when we're talking about the surpassing greatness of his power, what we're talking about is the power to bring life from death. This is a power that is far exceeding above all that we could ask or think about. This means that, please hear me, that the power of His life, do you hear that? The power of His life is exceedingly surpassing the power of death. Life is the strongest thing in all the known universe, seen or unseen. And this is why Christ Himself, when He raised Lazarus from the dead, what did He say? I am the resurrection and the life. We think evil is the strongest. We think death is the strongest. My friend, death and evil are completely perilous in comparison to the power of life, of raising someone from the dead. And Christ Himself said to those around Him, My Father loves me, and He's given me the power to lay down my life, and the power to take it up again. You try that, we will laugh in your face. Because no man in and of himself or herself has that power to do that. And folks, that's why men and women say, you know what? There's no life after death. All there is is death. And at the end, we're just kind of annihilated and go out of existence or just absorbed into the energy and powers of the universe. Foolishness that they do not know the power of God. That's what they're denying. They're not only denying God, they're denying that He has the power to do something over that. So number one, it was the power of God the Father that raised Him from the dead. Secondly, it was God the Father's power that seated Him at His right hand in the heavenlies far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named not only in this age but also in the one to what? What kind of power would it take to raise... A mortal man. Now understand what I mean by mortal. I mean that Christ had a body that could what? That could die. To raise a mortal man from the grave and then seat a mortal man who is now glorified at the right hand of the majesty on the throne on high. What kind of power would that take? 
Folks, this power is the reason why Paul would say the power of life out of death, the power that is toward us in Christ as the mediator. Paul would say in Romans 8, do you understand this now? I'm convinced, I'm persuaded that neither death, do you hear that? Paul says not death can separate me from the love of Christ. Not death, not things in this life, not angels, not principalities, not things present, not things to come, not powers that are invisible, nor the heights, nor the depths, or any other created thing can separate me from the love of Christ in Christ Jesus because God the Father's power raised Him from the dead and seated Him far above all things, both now and forever and ever and ever. That's why Paul's persuaded about this. Folks, he is seated above all rule, authority, power, and dominion in every name that is named. <clears throat> death has a name, we call it what? Not a trick question. Death. Is that a name? Christ is above that name. Does Satan have a name? Far above that name. You name anything, seen or unseen, and God has named everything. Christ is far, He's not just above them, He's far above all those things. Both now and in the future. He's seated right now in those heavenly places. And every name that is named, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will what? Bow. Why? He's far above all those dominions. Far above the United States. Far above President Putin. Far above the angelic beings. Far above evil and Satan. Far above all that. Seated at the right hand of God. Just like it was prophesied. Would that take power? Mm -hmm. That would take power. And folks, not only is He raised, and not only is He seated, but look at verse 22. God the Father put how many things? Now let that sink in. God the Father put all things in subjection under His what? And folks, we know from 1 Corinthians 15 that God the Father voiced to the Son all things are in subjection under your feet. And 1 Corinthians 15 says that what Christ is doing right now on the throne is putting all those things in subjection under His feet. Will that be accomplished? Yes, Yes, it will. And at the end of the day, Christ will give all that to God the Father. Every lost human being is under His feet. 
Every believer. We're included in all things, are we not? Brought under His feet. Every angelic being brought under His feet. That's why Hebrews would say, He's better than the angels. <laughs> He's better than Moses. Amen? He's better than any earthly priest. Everything is submitted and subjected under His feet. It doesn't look like everything is subjected under His feet, but all things right now are subjected under His feet. And He is bringing all things to its accomplished end just like the Scripture has framed it out to be and has foretold it to be. He put everything under His feet. <clears throat> and fourthly, <clears throat> God the Father gave Him this One that He raised from the dead, this One that He is seated at His right hand, this One who is far above all, both now and in the future, this One to whom all things are in subjection under His feet, verse 22, He gave Him <clears throat> as head over all things to who? The church, which is His body, the fullness of Him that fills all in all. <clears throat> now folks, I just want you to know that I've chosen not to go into depth about all four of those. Or we could have a sermon on each one. God the Father's power was seen in Christ at that historical moment 2,000 years ago. And at His resurrection, it all was accomplished. We're just waiting to see it to happen in time. And God the Father's power that is in Christ is given, God the Father is giving Christ, is giving this ruler over all, is given this human being in a glorified body, whose dominion is forever and ever, He has given Him to the church as head over the church. Everybody see that? <clears throat> and folks, the reason why God the Father has done this is so that the body could be saved. Do you see that? He's given Him over all things. He's given Him His head over all things to the church, which is His body. Everybody see that? Now, when you're reading the church there, He's not talking about local New Testament assemblies. Some people call this the universal church, not in the sense that everybody is saved, but the church that has not yet gathered together. One day, a gathering of all genuinely born-again people who are, listen to this phrase, organically unioned in Christ. 
are all going to gather before Him. He is the firstborn of the church. He's the head over all things and we will be gathered together to Him. The earthly New Testament church is supposed to be a reflection of that, but folks, we do know and understand that there are people and even members who attend or even are members of local New Testament churches that are not organically union with Christ. They're not saved. Can we all agree with that? We are organically union with Him. He's going to refer back to that. Go over to Ephesians 5. And look at verse 29 when he's talking about, and oh, how I'd love to go into this, but I'm not. That husbands are the head. Husbands, you agree with this? You're the head? Alright? You're not going to understand what that means until you know Christ is head. Husbands, to love their own wives as their own body. He that loves his own wife loves himself. Verse 29. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourish, cherishes it, just as Christ also does the... Because. Everybody see the word because? Here's the reason. We are members of His what? Body. Everybody see that? And folks, you know that from Romans chapter 6. When He died, we what? We died. How can I say that? I am organically unioned in Him. When He died, I died. When He was buried, I what? When He rose, I what? That's why Paul's going to say in just a few verses, you and I are seated in heavenly places in Christ. Why? Not because you and I are there, but because He's there. And if He's there, we're what? We're there. We're members organically unioned in His body. And he says in verse 30 of Ephesians 5, we are members of His body. For this reason, he quotes Genesis, he says, for this reason a man shall live, leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife and the two shall be one what? So folks, are we one flesh with Christ? Yes. Verse 32, this mystery is great, but I'm speaking in reference to Christ and the church. Folks, we are one flesh in Christ. He's the head. We're the members. Everybody see the illustration? You seeing it? He's the head. We're the what? We're the members. The head is what tells the body what to do. He's the head. We're the members. You got it? Okay. Verse 23. His body is the fullness of Him. Who's the Him? It's God the Father. God has given Christ as the head over all things to the church. 
The church is His body. Christ, the fullness of Him who fills what? All in all. Everybody see that? So folks, what we know is this, that in Ephesians 1, when he's talking about the fullness of God the Father in Christ, do you agree with that? But he's given Christ as the head over his body. Well, the body of Christ is what God the Father filled. The fullness of deity is in who? It's in him. And folks, that is why in 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14, he talks about that we are individual members of his body. And the eye can't say to the foot, I have no need of you. And the hand can't say to the other hand, I have no need of you, right? Folks, the individual members of his risen body those who have been organically union in Christ, you and I don't have the fullness of Him in all its fullness. Only Christ had that. But we have that fullness in measure. So folks, we could say this. If you want to see the fullness of God, look at who? Christ. Christ. Everybody in agreement? But folks, one day, when the gathered church is together and we stand before Him, it will be said, do you want to see the fullness of Christ? Look at the church. This is His power working in all of us. And folks, that is why in Ephesians 3, it says... Verse 20, excuse me, verse 19, that Paul is praying that we would be filled up to all the fullness of God. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it be great if all the fullness of God could be here among us that are genuinely converted? Verse 20, Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that is working within us to Him be glory in the church by His Son to all generations forever and ever. Can you now say amen to that? (laughs) That is amazing. And folks, this power, this power that brings life out of death, is in His Son. And in the book of John, Jesus Christ Himself, very early on in His ministry, said this, My Father has life in Himself, and He has given to the Son to have life in Himself. And one day, all who are in the grave will hear my voice. And guess what? They will be raised from the dead. Isn't that wonderful? Let's turn to John 5. I want you to see this with your eyes and then we'll be done. John chapter 5. 
I could have just said it, but you got to see it. <clears throat> John chapter 5. Verse 19. <clears throat> Therefore Jesus answered and was saying to them, they're upset because He's saying that He's God, that He is equal with God the Father. Therefore Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of Himself unless it is something He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father is doing, these things the Son is also doing in like manner. Everybody see that? Verse 20. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all things that He Himself is doing. And the Father will show Him greater works than these so that you will marvel. Verse 21. For just as the Father... What? Everybody see that? Just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom He wishes. Everybody see that? Now folks, in verse 21, He's not talking about dead bodies. He's talking about people who are walking around dead in their trespasses and sins. Just as the Father raises the dead. Does He do that? So the Son also gives life to whom He pleases. People who are dead in trespasses and sins. Let's keep reading. Verse 22, For not even the Father judges anyone, but He has given all judgment to the Son, so that all will honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. Verse 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, <clears throat> he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has what? That's exactly what he's talking about in verse 21. And does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into what? Life. No, verse 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and... Now is. Everybody see that? When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who live here will what? That was happening when Jesus was walking on the earth. Those dead in trespasses and sins, He's giving people like that life. Verse 26, For just as the Father has life in Himself, even so He gave to the Son also to have life in Himself, and He gave Him authority to execute judgment because He is the Son of Man. Verse 28, Don't marvel at this. For an hour is... It's not an hour is coming and now is. Right? An hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear His voice and will come forth, those who did good to a resurrection of life and those who committed evil to a resurrection of what? Okay. Verse 25, 
excuse me, verse 28 is talking about future resurrection of bodies. Verse 25 is talking to dead people who are alive and walking around who are dead in their trespasses and sins, but they need what? Life. And folks, that power of God that was in His Son and accomplished our salvation, that's the gospel that we preach. Folks, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. We're preaching what has been accomplished 2,000 years ago because the mystery of His will, summing up everything in Christ, was accomplished in a historical person who's now alive at the right hand of God at a historical moment some 2,000 years ago at His resurrection, and that's what we're preaching. And in that preached word of His Son, God works through that word to give life to all who believe. So why do we need anything else? Do you believe that? Do you believe it enough that if you give it to someone that you believe God's working through that gospel? Or do you think it needs help? Doesn't need help, does it? In fact, you can't help it because we are powerless in relationship to the surpassing greatness of His power and the working of the strength of His might which He brought about in Christ at His resurrection from the dead. Folks, you can't bring, you can't manipulate this. You can't will this. <laughs> you can't, you can't, you know, connive this. You can't lower the lights and play the music and get this to happen. It's Christ giving life to dead people through the proclamation of who He is and what God did in His Son, reconciling all things unto who? Himself. So that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. No human works, amen? It was all done 2,000 years ago. Let's pray.